This is Travis Willingham, the voice of Thor, and you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-death TV. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show. A number of years ago, I remember... Uh, a teacher telling me there were objections to the misfits being taught in the, in the school and she had to stop reading it to the, her class. And the kids were like, well, why, 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 why? And they, she finds, well, what, what do you think the issue might be that they found is found objectionable? And they couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And finally she said to them, well, it's because Joe is gay. There's a gay character. And they said, but what's the issue? Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are on Twitter at the GBB Podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. And we have another fantastic show for you. All of them are fantastic. Like every week. Every single every week. Every week. You got it. Well, it's hard to beat the LeVar Burton episode, but... Uh. <laughs> you cannot compare everything. <laughs> it's like comparing children. We, we love them all equally. It's true. And you know what? I love... I, I was actually becoming one of my favorite interviews is talking to uh, children's authors and I just find that they're so fascinating and they have, they, they're so much deeper than a lot of people might give credit. I know it sounds funny, but a lot of people would think that children being a children's author is just so easy and there's not a lot of thinking to it. And, yeah. and really there is, and they put a lot into their work and it's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, especially if you don't, if you don't have kids or if you just you don't necessarily read a lot of children's mm-hmm. books, you know, that you're right. The the tendency is to think like, oh, well, they're just simple books with simple language and simple words. And it's a, but they're about sharing or they're about, you know, going to a new school and making friends. And yeah, I mean, some picture books are about that, but they're never just about. Right. That. You know, there's always a subtext or a, another plot or, you know, or symbolism. And and those are just and even those are just you know, a tiny fraction of picture books, you know, where children's literature encompasses so much more. Um, and there's so many good, uh, you know, sometimes I, I mean, I write about books, I do reviews and I have kids, so I read a lot of these books, but sometimes I'll just pick up like a middle grade mm-hmm. book, you know, that's intended for sixth graders and right. I'll read it and it's good. You know, I mean, they're not, some of the books are not so great, but like some of these books are just really, really well written. Right. So, I'm right there with you. These I love talking to authors because each everybody has a different story. Right. And everybody brings something unique to the table. Now, when I was a kid, the earliest memories I have are uh, grade three. We really started to do like class uh, novels, and mm-hmm. I remember we did The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Oh, I love that book. And we did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and oh. the third one was Benicula. Awesome. Those, those are, are like the three, three classic books. Yes. <laughs> and they those those are what I really started reading. Those were my first introduction to reading. And I mean it can't get better than that, right? <laughs> it's your no. introduction to it's reading. It's all downhill from there. Really. But <laughs> today we actually get to talk to the author of Benicula and Jamie. When you told me about this, I was just like, What? Like I that's the first book I ever really remember, you know, wanting to know the story and you know, digging in and wanting to read ahead of the class and you know, this is it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
the binicular I loved the binicular books as a kid. I actually I'm looking at them right now on my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. I still have my original childhood copies of nice. you know Benicula and Holiday Inn and Nighty Nightmare mm-hmm. and the whole original series. Um and they're incredible. I mean, but uh so James Howe wrote the book. He wrote the original one with his um his wife at the time, Deborah Howe. And then he, um, a- after she passed, he continued on the series. Um, but he's so much more than Benicula. I mean, we talk about this a few times in the interview. Like he's coming up on having written a hundred books at this point, which is just mind blowing when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, you know, just look at any books, and yeah, they're they're many of them are you know slim little children's books, but they still required work. And yep. if you just just put a hundred books next to each other on a bookshelf. That will blow your mind about mm-hmm. how much work he has produced and the the impact and the the lasting effect that he has had on readers for two, three generations. Yep. Yeah, and and he's just talking to him in the interview, you're gonna hear it. He is now working on uh books that talk about inclusion and bullying and he's just a fantastic guy and I can't wait for you to hear this interview. So we're going to play it for you right now. James, thanks you so, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. The Benicula books, um, well, we're going to talk about a lot more than Benicula, so don't worry about that. But the Benicula books were such a, a solid part of my childhood that this is just a, the, the, the inner kid in me is kind of geeking out a little bit right now. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to the beginning of your career before you started before you wrote the the, the first book Benicula um, you were a literary agent that's what was paying the bills yes and how much did that exposure to other people's work inform your own writing you know at the beginning of your career ah that's a great question um, you know I often when I <clears throat> when I've been asked that, a question like that before I've thought of it in terms of all that I learned in my seven years of doing that work and in terms of the publishing business and how it made me a much more realistic uh, writer when I started out, you know, understanding how publishing worked and all of that. But I hadn't thought about it so much in terms of writing itself. And there's no question that it influenced me because part of um, what I did besides being exposed to other people's writing was I did a fair amount of editing um, and advising other people on their writing. So I'm sure in that process of seeing what worked and didn't work with other people's writing, it helped uh, me learn myself. But I was writing before I uh, began doing that work. Yeah. Now, the type of work that you were working with when you were the agent, was it children's literature or was it adult? No. In fact, we had no children's book authors in our um, stable of writers at all. It was completely outside um, the the area. We we did prime. We worked primarily with playwrights. Okay. And um, then some uh, a fair amount of fiction and nonfiction. Also, actor. My background was more in theater, mm-hmm. and so um, I tended to work more with playwrights and actor. We have a small number of actors and directors that we worked with as well. Um, but then. I did begin working more with some fiction writers as, as well. Uh, so, but not no children's books. No. Mm. In fact, when I started, 
my first submission on my own behalf, which was Benicula, I sent out letters uh, under my boss's name um, it, to basically my, my first letter went out to Har what was then Harper and Row mm -hmm. um, because they published Charlotte's Web, which was my favorite children's book and i thought well if they're good enough for eb white they're good enough for me and uh they didn't feel that way so <laughs> the legend i have somewhere in my files i have a rejection letter from the legendary charlotte zolito saying you know well a little whimsy you know goes a short ways and this oh. is yes ouch uh, <laughs> but uh the, the point of which was just i sent out letters as many authors would first time authors would just kind of blind and not knowing what I was doing. And then um, eventually it was actually through, uh, I hate to say it, but you know, um, who you know, my my um, boss's cousin was an editor at Scholastic. And so she said, why don't we send it to her? And she knows everybody in the business and she'll know who to send it to. And that's how it eventually happened. But after my first tour, I think I was working maybe on my fourth book while I was still working as a literary agent, my day job, uh, my boss and I agreed that it was time for me to find another agent who specialized in children. In children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever decisions you made at that point must have worked because at this point you've written almost what a hundred books. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Probably is closing in on that. Yeah. It was a little above 90 the last time I took count. So. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I mean, but those, Dozens and dozens of books, you know, closing in a hundred, they really do cover a spectrum of styles and audiences. I mean, you've written picture books and children's nonfiction, beginning reader chapter books, kids novels, YA fiction, screenplays. Um, is that diversity by design? Does it help to keep the process fresh for you to, to, to sort of jump around in styles and genres? You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say it's by design in that I didn't start off thinking, oh, I need to shift gears and do this because of, for this reason. It was the ideas themselves just came and I said, well, OK, that's a picture book. I mean, <laughs> my first my first two books were uh, Benicula and another book, Teddy Bear Scrapbook, both of which I wrote with my late wife, Debbie. And then I assumed I was not going to continue writing children's books. I wrote those as a lark. I wrote them for fun. I wasn't thinking I wanted to be a children's book author. Or I knew nothing about being a children's book author. And then a client in um, the office where I was working who was a photographer uh, happened to drop by one day and say, you know, I was asked by uh, Crown Publishers if I would do a photo essay for children, and I have no idea uh, what to write about. Do you have any thoughts about it? Now, my wife, Debbie, with whom I wrote Benicula and Teddy Bear's scrapbook, um, had been uh, uh, very sick much of her life, and she, in fact, was diagnosed with cancer while we were writing Benicula. And she has was and part of that book was written in the hospital and she uh she and i talked about writing a book to help kids uh with the experience of going to the hospital and she had died before we could do that book and it was on my mind and i said to mel warshaw was his name the photographer uh, i said oh well here's this idea uh and he liked that and he said well will you write it so my third book was a nonfiction book, completely different from the first two I did. And then from there on, it was just that's just sort of how it happened. I've realized looking, you know, well, I realized a long time ago, but for me, um, 
you know, I, it's funny. I, I was listening to your interview with Mary Pope Osborne, who I love, by the yeah. way. And, and I love wonderful. the interview. She is wonderful. Um, and uh, and I was thinking, wow, what not it amazing she could write all of those books in that same series all these years? Mm-hmm. And I admire that, but it is not something I can do. My agent often says to me, you know, you are so not a series writer. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, even though I have a number of series, I was going to say you're you're probably most famous for a series. Yes, I am. But I, I the, if we're talking about the Benicula books, there came a point in writing those books that they were harder and harder and harder mm-hmm. for me to do, and I really s- suffered with them uh, <laughs> uh, because the idea, you know, it was fresh at one point, and then I had to revisit and find out, okay, where am I in my life at this point that I can make this old idea fresh for me mm-hmm. um and and also that i'm aware now of who my readers are what they're going to be looking for and as someone who loves um i'm not going to say series particularly but will maybe love a, a a writer for a particular style or approach i know i kind of look for that when i'm going to read their next book but that's me as a reader as a writer um I like to shake up form and try new things. And uh, so I guess to that extent, it's by design in that I, I like um, I like to play, you know, and find yeah. find find new ways in and new ways of expressing things and uh, shake up form. So do you, do you ever get overwhelmed by the sheer number of stories and books that you've written and wonder if you ever have any stories left to tell? Is it just something that comes naturally and you just develop uh, new well, new ideas all the time? Have, have you been spying on me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, 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 yes. The, the answer to the first part of your question is yes, yes, yes. Uh, in fact, when, when you said – are you overwhelmed by the sheer number of stories? I was just to say my office is on the third floor of my house and the, the, the door right outside my office is the door to the attic. And if you could see what my attic looks like with the boxes and bookshelves filled (laughs) with those over 90 books, that just alone can be a little overwhelming sometimes like, Oh my gosh. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I think, look at all this that I produced, but at the same time, yes, you're like, wow. Uh, what do I have left to say? What, you know, and I've been feeling that a lot lately, uh, the last few years, um, partly because I've written so much. And so what do I have to say? And also because, uh, the world of kids has changed so much just in the last five to, I would even say just in the last five years, um, that as I, as I've written more, uh, fiction, that's, more realistic, more in the world of kids as opposed to the Benicula books, but books like The Misfits and Totally Joe and that that series. Um, I've really I've really questioned, uh, you know, what, what do I have to say? Also, I've I, this will be shocking to you, I know, but I've grown older. <laughs> and so the distance between myself at this age and my reader grows greater. And so I think about, okay, what do I have to say at this age now uh, to kids? So there are a lot of factors uh, in, in, in play as I think about what I'm going to do now. I now understand why a lot of writers' uh, productivity slows down as they get older. You say, oh, gee, I haven't read a new book by so-and-so in a while. And I think it's for these various reasons. And, uh, you know, we're looking at what we what we what we do have to say and and um 
um, and and in ter- especially in terms of all that we might have said already in books that we've published. You know, Sorry, I'm not I'm not known for my my short answers. I apologize. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fine. If you listen to, I can point you to a few interviews that went for like two hours because we didn't have short answers, and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> <I'll try laughs> um, but go, going along with that, though, I mean, of of having these stories to tell, and in you know, looking back on this career that spanned decades and and hundreds of stories, uh, one of the stereotypical pieces of writing advice that people used to be get, and I'm not sure if they still get it now, is write what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand where that may have come from originally. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily good advice. But at what point does it feel comfortable for you as a you know as a creator and as a storyteller to sort of break out of that mindset that you know it's it's okay to tell a story that you may not have any personal experience with well considering that my very first book <laughs> a vampire bunny who sucks the juice out of vegetables <laughs> yeah i mean i once i once i wrote that i exhausted all my own personal experience there, that was it right there right <laughs> right there uh no i guess i never felt uh yeah. i had to stick too closely to what i knew but i think um, I, I, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that this morning. Um, I think just related to something I was reading and, and, and thinking about that, you know, write what you know, and I've taught writing, um, a number of times. And I think what, what, what I think about that is write what you connect with, you know, what you, what you have a strong connection with. And so often when I'm teaching writing, to adults, um, I'll I'll have them uh, I'll give them exercises that connect them to their childhood selves um, as a way of kind of getting into that child mind if they're going to be writing for children, but also to really connect to where their own truths are and what it is that really matters. But it isn't doesn't mean drawing necessarily from or writing your experiences. It means writing what ha- has a powerful connection for you. So when I'm working with kids, because so often kids are not going to want to write about, you know, what are they going to write that, you know, when I was a child, you know, last month, uh, (laughs) I'll say, well, you know, what really makes you laugh or what really makes you sad or what do you have? What, what, you know, what gets you really riled up and angry right from that strong emotional connection. And if it's certainly for me, if I look at Benicula, I would say, in that case, it was really what made us laugh, what made me laugh, like what was really funny to me. And and, and I can go back and read that book all these years later and still laugh at, at, at parts of it. Um, so that's that's what's most important to me uh, is 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 the connection. Yeah. So let, let's talk about your upcoming books a bit since you have a couple. In October, you have Big Bob, Little Bob from Candlewick Press. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, this one has a sweet but important message to it. Yes, and that's a good one to talk about in terms of connecting and also writing what you know, I suppose. Because yeah. right. uh, Big Bob, Little Bob is a story – it's a picture book, um, story of two – boys who live next door to each other uh, with the, have the same name and big bob moves in next door to little bob and little bob is a uh little boy who likes to play with dolls and sometimes dresses up in in girls clothes and likes to wear jangly bracelets and likes to have very quiet play uh 
you know, he, he likes to set up his stuffed animals, dolls in the backyard and play teacher. And Big Bob next door is playing with trucks and throwing balls around and roughhousing with his dog. And um, Big Bob kind of looks over at little, little Bob's a little uneasy about Big Bob and Big Bob is a little uncertain about who this little Bob is. And they try to play together and it's, it's usually a failure because they, they can't, you know, they just sort of play the same way. Um, but eventually they, they, they come to see that they can be different and find common ground and also just kind of respect each other's differences. Um, and the, the book actually started out being about a dad and a son. Big Bob was going to be the dad and little, little Bob was the son. Um, and I, I, and, and there, I think I was getting a little message heavy cause I wanted it to be a, a, you know, a book that would help dads who had maybe little boys who were a little girly and were really, you know, different maybe from who they were. And yeah. I could never quite make a story work there. And once I turn it to the two boys, uh, it worked much better, but I was, uh, I was definitely a little Bob and, um, there wasn't a big Bob around for me. I mean, there were, I had friends and, and I had a very, uh, I had three older brothers and you would think I would have gotten teased mercilessly. And I did get teased mercilessly. <laughs> um, but because that just comes with the territory of being big brothers, but, uh, but never about that, never about that being that kind of boy. They, they were, it was just, it was fine in my family and, and, uh, uh, it was cool. So in a way, I think it was better that I ended up writing a, a book about, peers because that's where I had the problem was in the bigger world uh, uh not at not at home and not not from my own dad um but from other boys who you know just didn't get a boy like me yeah. do you think that it's easier or more difficult well actually I don't know if those are the right words do you think that the it, it books that that have messages such as that one is are they more receptive you know are readers more receptive receptive to them now than they may have been in the past oh yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah 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 i talk about um uh issues of name calling and bullying and and uh homophobia uh in middle schools a lot and since the publication of the misfits in 2001 and the misfits is still taught in many middle schools and i go in and talk about these issues and the change is just radical in the last let's see i think i started to talk well yeah in 2001 2002 i guess so we're talking you know close to 15 years and the 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 change is just remarkable. I mean, you know, there's there's just a complete ease in talking about these things now. It doesn't mean that necessarily kids who are gender different or uh, may or may not be gay, but who are perceived as gay, that they don't still get called names and teased and have a hard time. Um, I don't, but the ability to talk about it, the openness uh, with which can, kids can talk about this and 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 some kids are able to just be who they are in a much easier way. Um, that has really, really changed. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the misfits and you know, that you're, you're a fairly prominent anti-bullying activist in many of your books outside of the misfits and, you know, big Bob, little Bob, Bob, that you talk about these issues of acceptance and tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, the ease with which you can talk about it in schools to students has gotten much easier. And, 
seeing these young readers connect with the message must be incredibly gratifying. But I'm wondering, do you still see any sort of, I guess, reticence, uh, you know, from the older generation, you know, from the parents or the teachers? Um, I think maybe it's out there, but I don't see it. Um, I don't know that I always hear about that. I don't get invited to the schools where that might be a problem. Um, I've also been in schools where I was in a school recently where um, this was a school in Tennessee, um, a private school, but but nonetheless, uh, where the principal went to the sixth grade language arts teacher and said, I want you to find a book with a gay protagonist to teach. And so that came from the principal and um, and they chose Totally Joe, my book, Totally Joe. And I went to speak there recently. I said, well, did you get any flack about that? And he said, oh, yeah. Yeah. I said, did you get any flack about my coming to the school and talking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> said, he said, but that's good. Yeah. I, I welcome the mm. conversation. We're going to have this conversation. That's awesome. And, yeah, it is. So that's a case where I heard about something going on, but I'm sure there, there are cases where, where I don't. And I'm sh- I am sure that with uh, with uh, older um, you know generations of parents and teachers, there's there's probably probably still some resistance. Um, but with kids growing up now, there's uh, um, it's it's very very different. It's, it's Mark, a new normal for them. Yeah, exactly. It's a new normal. My my, my husband Mark and I just finished uh, teaching a, a class. We we go to a Unitarian Society. Uh, and we teach a class called Our Whole Lives, which shortens uh, is OWL. And it's a sexuality education class for seventh and eighth graders. Mm-hmm. We've taught it a number of times. And again, this is something we've seen change over uh, the course of maybe the last 10 years. Um, I mean, Unitarians, yeah, pretty, pretty open right from the outset and be able to <laughs> talk about things. And that was true 10 years ago with these kids as it is now. But the way these kids can talk about these things, their awareness of transgender issues, for example, or gender identity, let's say, um, that they come into the class with a vocabulary to talk about these things that wasn't there just yeah. a short time ago. And they look they look at all this as, as non-issues. You know, I, I actually, a number of years ago, I remember uh, a teacher telling me, so this could even have been 10 years ago, telling me that um, there were objections to the misfits being taught in in the, in the school and she had to stop reading it to the, her class. I don't remember what grade this was, but middle school. And the kids were like, well, why, 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 why? And they, she finds, well, what, what do you think the issue might be that they found is found objectionable? And they couldn't figure it out and couldn't figure it out. And finally she said to them, well, it's because Joe is gay. There's a gay character. And they said, but what's the issue? With exactly. Yeah. They don't see the issues anymore the way that, you know, their parents may. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's awesome. I think, you know, I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. it's a, you know, it's cliched terms, but it's like a title, you know, sh- it's a it's a complete shift in mm-hmm. it's a fundamental shift in how generations view issues like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think uh, it's heartening to hear stories like that principle that you talked about. It's heartening to hear those stories where people say people with authority say, you know, yeah, there's going to be some pushback and yeah, there's probably going to be some controversy, but it's, it's necessary. You yeah. Know, we're not going to shy away from that. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I read an essay a number of years back by a teacher um, who talked about um, discomfort and he said something to the effect of 
if if things are going to change, we have to be willing to go through the discomfort. And I really, yeah. I really, that word has stuck with me because it's absolutely true. It's it's that that we bump up against and we say, oh, I can't go there. You know, I'm uncomfortable. Well, yeah, you're uncomfortable. Of course, yeah. you're uncomfortable. And that's exactly the point. And then we have to push through it and deal with it and get to the other side. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, as a as a well-known children's author, I imagine I hope this isn't too personal, but I imagine that it was not an easy decision for you to come out. Um, and I'm wondering how much of a risk did you think that you were taking professionally versus how much of a risk it actually turned out to be? Um, I, th I did think about it. Absolutely. And, and, uh, I think the risk personally felt so much greater. I was far more worried about what was going to happen to my personal life, the fallout with my friends. I mean, it also involved leaving a marriage. I was married a second time and have a a daughter from that marriage. And so it meant, okay, I'm ending a marriage. I, this is going to have an impact on my uh, wife, on my daughter, on our circle of friends. Um, and it took a long, long time uh, for me to, and a lot of therapy, uh, to get to the point where I could say, I have the courage to do this. And um, it's essential to me that I do but I do know that this is going to have this impact. And I will, I, as I said, I absolutely consider the implications on my, um, or not the implications, but the, the um, ramifications possibly on my career. But I thought, you know, in, in a way I've been writing about this in, in sort of veiled ways all along. I've been writing about gender stereotyping and, and um, uh, being different uh, in, in, and um, I think this is just a step into a more open, honest space. And mm -hmm. I have to hope that it, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay and, and more than okay with, with my readers and with, uh, um, you know, the adults out there who, who, uh, would be looking at my work and, 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 and looking at me as an author. And that's what happened. And in fact, what happened with my friendships is pretty much what happened in terms of my career. I think there was my friendships grew deeper because I was more able to be more honestly and fully myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the friendships that were true friendships just grew richer and deeper. And, uh, when I came out, there were actually a number of articles that were rare interviews and articles that were written about me at the time um, about that, about coming out as a children's author. And, and that was the, the tenor of those, those, those pieces was about uh, the honesty of that and the taking the risks of that. And for me, it just really um, opened me up to be able to be able to write yeah. more honestly, I guess. Yeah, my, I, my own truth more. That that is a sort of a follow-up question: Is it has has it freed you up to tell stories that you maybe were not able to before? Yes, actually, Big Bob, Little Bob is a perfect example of that because I didn't realize until after I'd come out that there was another closet that I was in, which was 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 being this little girly boy. I felt a lot of shame about being mm -hmm. a boy who would dress up in girls' clothes and would play with dolls, and in 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 
I would never, ever mention that when I talk to kids in schools, even though I the character of Joe in, in The Misfits and Totally Joe, um, you know, I, I put little things in there like like uh, his mentioning that he'd walk around his mom's high heel shoes and and uh, and once wanting to have a one of his dolls have a wedding dress made for the doll because he'd gone to a wedding and kind of fa- fallen under the spell of weddings. And and uh, those are both, you know, things about me that I didn't acknowledge being about me. Um, but in writing, uh, little Bob, I put that out there. There is a picture, there's an illustration in the book where he's walking down the street, you know, in this dress and big hat and, and, uh, um, I thought, wow, okay. I'm really putting myself out there now. And I've actually begun now when I talk to kids, I I use a little bit of a slideshow now when I talk about, um, uh, these issues and, and particularly the misfits books. And I actually have pictures of myself with my dolls and things as a kid that I now show. I was like, wow, okay, here's a whole other, you know, I, I even, I was in a school the other day talking to sixth graders and I showed them pictures and I said, three years ago, I wasn't showing these pictures. I, I, I was still feeling uncomfortable about it, but, uh, you know, here I am. And uh, I, I do find that, that being more open, um, both in my writing and uh, when I talk to kids, it and being open in a way that's kind of matter of fact, like yeah, well, this is who I am. Yeah. It it kind of opens the door door for others, you know. Um, I've certainly felt that too in my myself when I see people who are uh, just authentically themselves and able to talk about it, and uh, it it helps me feel like oh, I I could I could be that too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I I think shifting gears just a little bit, I I think when people imagine the life of a writer, they say, oh, I want to be a writer or they think about, you know, the typical day of, of a, you know, their favorite writer, they, they probably take the romantic view and they, Mm -hmm. they think that the person's, you know, you write very personal stories or you write the great American novel. Um, the reality is often very much different, you know? professional writers have to take on a lot of, you know, quote unquote, work for hire projects. They may not necessarily want to write many of the things early in their careers. Um, And I know, especially earlier in your career, you were in that situation. How do you reconcile that desire to tell the stories that you want to tell with the need to pay the bills? (laughs) Well, I think, um, you know, I... I, I feel I was very lucky starting out because um, I was able to pay my bills from writing. And sometimes that didn't mean taking work for hire, but I really enjoyed that. And 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 because and also I got to do it for the Muppets. And I mean, how much fun was that? So I actually have one of those books upstairs in my kids rooms. <laughs> oh, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one with Animal looking for his mother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love I loved writing. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, so I, 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 I was very lucky. I hadn't actually was working on the hospital book. The editor that I worked with on that book um, moved from Crown to Random House, and they do a lot of uh, licensed character and movie tie-in books. And so she was able to give me a lot of work. <clears throat> and um, I loved it. I just looked at it as a way to learn more about writing. And in a way, um, it was, it was, uh, 
I was able to do more relaxed writing in a lot of ways because I was given parameters. I was given, you know, I didn't have to come up with every single bit of it, you know, come up with characters, come up with uh, the world of the stories. I was told like, okay, here's the characters, here's the world of the stories, here's, uh, you know, the page length we're looking for, here's the the gist of the, the series we're tying it into. And so that was great. It actually gave me a lot of freedom and it was fun to write as, well, certainly to write as the Muppets characters. I had a ball writing those. Um, so, so it was, it was, it was great. And, and you know, there's the craft of writing, and then there's the, the need to write from your, you know, your heart and soul, and and uh, what matters to you. And if you're lucky, you can find ways to to marry those two things. But you can also just take pleasure in the, just the craft of writing itself. You know, whatever it might be. With that in mind, I need to ask. Um, I have to talk about how the Ewoks save the trees. Oh no! <laughs> now, oh no! I, I I write for. I also one of the sites that I write for is StarWars.com, and I actually just wrote a piece about. I did like a little roundup of um, vintage era picture books that were original stories and how the Ewoks made the trees made the cut. And it was in that little list. Oh my God, uh, I'm vintage. Oh. Yeah, you're vintage. <laughs> um, but on, I, I, as I was doing research, I saw on your website or on a Simon and Schuster website, I forgot where it was. You called it the worst book ever. <laughs> and I need to know why. Oh, you know, it's not that, well, okay, it was, I, I wouldn't say it's the worst book ever, but it, it was, <laughs> it was not a book I take, enormous pride <laughs> and the the reason is to to be very honest about it i was essentially handed a rewrite oh. I, I was given uh a book they were not happy with what had been done and they wanted a, a different story I and mean, so i did come up with something different but it was it was i kind of was given the the bones of it essentially and given two weeks to write it so it was, it, it was, it was, that was a work for hire that was really different from any other work that I did. It never felt like that's really mine. Um, I also, I also, after that book came out, was in a school and the librarian came over to me and said, how could the author of Benicula have written how the Ewoks saved the trees. <laughs> I was just loading this like huge dump of shame all over me. I was like, here, boom. And so I was like, oh no. You know, that, in a way, I guess that was like worse than being outed as gay. It was like, oh no. <laughs> I wrote the Ewoks. I wrote the Ewoks book. But I certainly, I, you know, in fact, I love the characters of the Ewoks. And, I, you know, it was, it was fun in its own way, but it was just never a book I felt I could kind of own as my own really now was that because i know sometimes with books like that um especially if it's a rewrite it'll be handed to you and the illustrations and art will all already been done i mean was it was it one of those or did you no, still no, get to the art had not been done okay yeah. so it wasn't like you were trying to write a story to art that had already been done no 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 okay <laughs> well i've got the book here on my bookshelf and oh no. i have to admit i <laughs> until i was writing that article i didn't even realize you had written it and I opened the book up to sort of, you know, to read it and to, you know, write what I needed to write about it. And I saw your name in the front. I was like, that, no way. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad you thought it was awesome. That's <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, 
I, I, I don't think that I would put it up there as worst book ever. Uh, <laughs> well, Maybe you're being too hard on it. I may, I may have to go back and revise whatever, wherever that was that I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so for your works that you are proud of, uh, like Benicula, um, are you ever surprised that it is still popular after almost 40 years? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, I mean, I never, never, never imagined it. I mean, when we wrote that book, we wrote it totally for the fun of it, not at the beginning, not even giving a thought to this will ever be published. Um, we were a couple of mostly out of work actors who had time on our hands. And, you know, after watching way too many bad vampire movies with Christopher Lee, uh, <laughs> late at night, I, I got this crazy idea of a vampire bunny and we just said, oh, well, let's just try writing that. And we sat down and we just, we just wrote it for fun. And at some point in writing it, I do remember thinking, huh, maybe this would be good enough to be published. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty funny and it, 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 I think kids would like it. Um, so that was it. I didn't think anything of writing a sequel to it or a series or anything. It was just, uh, uh, the book, the book, once the book was published, um, then I had the idea, oh, maybe I should write another book with the, with these characters. And, and it went from there, but yeah, I, it's totally amazing to me. And, and now of course there's cartoon series and there's been a couple play versions of it that, uh, um, one of which is still done all over the country all the time. So it's, uh, it's really had quite a, quite a life and all this little spinoff series and things. So. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it is. I, I recently read the original to my daughter, um, and I was surprised because it had been a long time since I read it. Uh, I was surprised at the language level of the book that it's it's it doesn't talk down to kids, and it you know the vocabulary that it uses and the sentence structure, and that it it doesn't sound a lot like you know elementary age chapter books that are published today. Was that intentional, or was that just because you, like you were saying before, you didn't really have that much experience with children's books at the time? Yeah, ignorance is bliss. I yeah. mean, it was, it was absolutely, we're writing this book for us. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just, we're, we're going to write what we're going to write. We didn't think about it at all. In fact, soon after, and, and my editor, uh, Gene Carl at Athenaeum, who was, who was a wonderful wonderful editor no longer with us i'm sad to say but it was a wonderful editor she was a writer herself and she respected uh you know she never said to me oh oh we need to take this language make it simpler take it down at all mm -hmm. and um when after the book was published i was on a, a little local talk show in in uh, i think it was in baltimore and it was a it was a show for kids that was hosted by a couple of teenagers. And then they had younger kids who were sort of the, you know, interviewers. And mm -hmm. I got on, I was on the last two minute segment of the show after the beekeeper, which <laughs> lets you know the status of children's authors <laughs> at that time. Anyway, yeah. the first question that was, was, was sent to me, a lob to me was, um, Mr. How, why did you put so many difficult words in the book? <laughs> and I was like, what? I, I mean, I really had no answer. I didn't even think I didn't have any thought that I put difficult words in the book. Uh, now, I, you know, I wouldn't say again, this would be by design, but I I've been very fortunate that starting out that way, it's never occurred to me. I need to to, you know, make it simpler. The only time I think about that at all is when I'm writing um, 
books for very young readers, particularly books that I'm thinking they're going to read themselves. But even there, I don't, I don't, I don't take it down too much, you know, and my editors on those books for the most part have said, you know, this is occasional to say, let's break this into two sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this is a word that just might be a little beyond, I mean, too much beyond the, the reader, but, uh, uh, no, I, 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 and that's never other than that one girl asking me that question that time. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't heard. And the, you know, one thing I've heard a lot, which which tells you something. So often I've been told by a parent, you know, this is the book that turned my kid into a reader. That's great. Mm-hmm. Or, or 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 adults will then tell me, you know, later this was a book that that did that for me when I was a kid. And I've often thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because this is a book with yeah some advanced vocabulary and and a little more complicated sentence structure and humor that might be a little over their heads and yet they're hooked and so that does say something yeah it's funny the children's literature that was prominent i don't know that's that stood the test of time i guess i should say that came out you know Mm -hmm. around the time of benicula and before some of the best books have that in common. You know, again, you know, I, I read to my daughter every night and we've gotten to the she's seven now. So we've gotten to the point where we're not just reading little picture books. Um, and so we've started reading some of the Roald Dahl books. And we, mm-hmm. you know, she saw Matilda on Broadway, so she wanted to read the book. So we read Matilda. And again, Roald Dahl certainly does not talk down and use simple vocabulary in his no. books. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why these books have stood the test of time is because they're telling great stories in in real language you know they're Mm -hmm. not using simplified words when you know you can use a three-syllable word just as easily and if kids don't know what it means they'll either look it up or they'll ask and that's Mm -hmm. that's the the challenge of reading you know that's that you're right and that's what turns a lot of kids into readers because it it makes them think right right I, i remember when my daughter uh, was young. I remember when she, I think she was around four. I read the Winnie the Pooh books to her, the originals, uh, Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh and the, the, um, House of Pooh Corner. House of Pooh Corner. Yeah. And, um, and she loved them and she laughed and we had a great time. And then I read them to her again when she was nine and she got so much more, she, you know, because those books, again, they're very, they're, they're very sweet and appealing, but they are very sophisticated mm-hmm. in their language and their humor. And at nine, she was getting a lot more of that. And it, but at the same time, at four, she got a lot. So, um, and you know, it's talking, talking about the Muppets. I mean, part of the appeal of the Muppets always is that there were a lot of little things in there that were kind of throwaways for kids, but adults would, would get them. And then kids could begin to appreciate them as they got older too. Um, you know, I'm happy to see in the Benicula cartoon series now that they're, they're, even though it's quite different from the books, um, there's still, um, a lot of that very kind of sly, subtle humor that gets Mm -hmm. tossed in as it's almost like little throwaways, but, um, I'm glad to see it's there. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, 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 I feel like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not reading a lot of, of, um, younger, like middle grade, um, fiction right now, but I'm very aware that young adult fiction has grown up, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and not just in subject matter, but you know, it's, it's, uh, 
the writing is much more, um, it feels more adult almost. Yeah. I don't mean like mm -hmm. it's for adults, but it, you know, uh, and so I don't know in terms of middle grade, I have to believe there's still some, I, I'm sure there's still some very, uh, well, I'm sure there's a lot of very smart, well-written middle grade fiction out there as well. But yeah. I'd hate to think there's too much, uh, um, dumbing down so to speak mm -hmm. there's not i mean it's it, there is a lot of good stuff out there but i think um the easy tendency is to sort of simplify things especially for the you know middle grade works um you're right with young adult you know what i guess i don't even know what age young adult targets anymore but it's often indiscernible from quote-unquote adult books mm -hmm. right right um, they read very much the same yeah yeah <laughs> So speaking of the Cartoon Network series of Benicula, how involved were were you, are you with that series and how did it come about? Do you know much about it? Um, yes. Uh, well, the, the, the history of that is that Benicula was done as a um, an animated special uh, for a series called ABC Weekend Special back in, I think it was 1982, really early on. Benicula was published in 1979, and so very early on. Um, um, I, ironically, it was that deal that allowed me to leave my day job and become a writer. Now, I wasn't paid a lot of money, but I was paid enough that I could say, okay, I can take this leap of faith and do this. And I say ironically because then what happened is I signed a contract that gave the rights in perpetuity uh, to a company called Ruby Spears, yeah. um, to, to, to the animated rights, if they actually produced and put on the air, this, this special. So that tied up the rights for a very long time. And Ruby Spears was bought by Hanna-Barbera and then Hanna-Barbera was bought by Warner brothers. And so, um, for, a, for, so Warner brothers, which produces the cartoon has had the rights for a long time. And, of course, for a long time, I was hopeful it would be made into a movie. Um, and then we we just heard a number a few years ago, oh, we're developing it as a cartoon series. And I, I was delighted. And um, I got to uh, it just happened. I was out in California on a book tour uh, right when they were beginning to develop the series. And so I got to go there and meet the animators and see this, see what they were doing. And that was mm -hmm. very exciting. And they've been really wonderful to work with. And, uh, you know, I'm 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 on there as a consultant. You know, I think I think I think my credit that comes out at the beginning that all my friends applaud wildly when they see <laughs> you know, consulting producer or something. Mm -hmm. and, but they but, you know, they they actually uh, take it serious. They've, they've been really wonderful to work with. They, they do consult with me. I mean, I'm 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 smart enough to know that they're the ones putting huge amounts of money into mm -hmm. this series and the ones who have the expertise in making cartoons. So there's a limit to what my input can be. Um, but they have, they have very much listened and appreciated my notes and we've had back and forth. Um, and you know, when, when they first told me the concept of the series over the phone, which was of course making significant changes from the book, which it has to, you know, my, that little book, to become a cartoon series or even a movie would have to change. It's a yeah. it's a very little story that's not going to be able to hold up for a hour and a half movie or a continuing series. But when they first told it to me on the phone, of course, part of me I was you know my 
author protective head was going, mm, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, okay, they're going to be in New Orleans, okay, the family is, it's now a father and daughter, it's not yeah. father and mother, two sons. And then, as they're describing it to me, I just, I remember making this mental shift right in the middle of this, this hearing this, thinking, stop listening to this as the author of the books, and start listening as the eight-year-old kid who loved cartoons. And as soon as I did that, I was like, oh, I would love this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's and that's how I've looked at it since then. And it's true. I mean, uh, my, my husband, Mark, and I, you know, it's, well, it's it's right now they've taken it off Saturday mornings on the Cartoon Network because they're they're playing around with where it's going to be scheduled. Mm-hmm. But while it was on Saturday mornings, we'd get up every morning and be in there with our bowls. Of cereal. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Like, like yucking it up and I, <laughs> I was having a great time. So, <laughs> so I'm very happy with it. <laughs> Um, I'm sure you, throughout your career, you've met thousands of young readers, and um, many of them have probably wanted to be writers themselves, uh, and I'm sure that they ask you for advice. What advice do you give them? Um, I tell them to read a lot and to write a lot and to write, just write what, what, as I was saying before, what it is that they love to write. Yeah. Um, and and and, uh, you know, to pay attention in, in English class and learn, learn. Um, I think that's important. You know, I, I always tell them, you know, you can break the rules later, but at least learn the basics of writing. But the most important thing, I think, is is reading. Now, this I'm, I'm a fine one to preach this because I was not a big reader as a kid myself. Um, I became much more of a reader when I got into middle school and high school. Um, but I but I'm saying a reader of books. I was a huge reader of, of comics, Mad Magazine, um, and I did watch TV, but I kind of grew up in the um, sort of golden age of sitcoms, early, early sitcoms, where the writing, people writing for those tended to be people who had been writing for theater and Broadway, and you know they were very, very, very good writers, and, so, and I loved humor. So I was really paying attention without consciously thinking about it but i was really paying attention to oh how does that work you know how why was that funny mm-hmm. and there are times even now when i'm writing some my favorite comic strip going up was peanuts it's still my favorite and there are times i will write something and i'll say okay that was just the four panels of peanuts you know i can just i can just feel the the way that humor built and crested and you know what made yeah. it pay off um, so I just tell kids read, you know, but read a lot and read for, for pleasure and, um, and write what you love. I was teaching a writing workshop, uh, a number of years back to, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what grade this was, but let's just say it was sixth graders. And there was one, I said at the outset, I was meeting with this group every week for a semester at a school and, and I, I said, uh, nobody has to share their work here. You know, is there anybody who doesn't want to? And there's one boy who said, no, nope, he will not share his work. So I said, okay, okay. So I got there early to class one morning and I walked in and I, there were, I could see through the window that two kids were reading something. And I walked in, not this boy, and I walked in and the boy like ducked under the table. We were meeting in the library at a like, conference table. And he just went under the table. And I said, okay, what's up with that? Well, it turned out they were reading a comic book that he and a friend wrote. 
the friend illustrated, he wrote the, he wrote it. And he was embarrassed and kind of ashamed that yeah. what he liked to write was comic books. And I said, that's great. You know, I mean, write what you, well, write what you love to write. So yeah. that's legitimate writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in addition to Big Bob, Little Bob, what else do we have coming up to look forward to? Um, I think it's going to be a little while. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have uh, two more Hounsley and Katina books that will be coming out, but I just wrote those fairly recently, and um, one of the, the first one of those is being illustrated right now. So you're probably aware of how slow yeah. the process can be, <laughs> uh, especially with you know picture books, and those are. Those are uh, short chapter books, but they're heavily illustrated uh, by Marie-Louise Marie Gay, who is one of my uh, very favorite illustrators and has become a good friend. Um, and so those will be coming up. And those are the only things I have in the pipeline to come up. I've had a, I've had a you know, I said I've been struggling a bit with what to write. And so I was working on a book for about a year that I finally just had to give up. It was a middle grade book that I just absolutely could not make work. Uh, I was not connecting to it the way I talk about the importance of connection. And so um, I, I have come up with something that I'm very excited about working on, but I'm just beginning work on that now. And I'm sorry to say I'm, you know, of the superstitious. Sure. Well, it's not even superstitious. It's just when I've talked too much about books sometimes, especially early on, I kind mm -hmm. of kill them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. I, I've just lost. I've lost all the energy. I've talked it out rather than yeah. writing. So, mm -hmm. so um, it's 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 a book that will. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's probably for middle school age and up. Um, um, but I'm I'm actually very excited about it, and so that'll that'll be something I'll be working on. But the only thing I have coming out in the in the near future is Big Bob, Little Bob. Awesome. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You, I mean, it's it's no, um, it's not hyperbole to say that you've affected generations of readers. Um, like I said at the top, I, mean, I I grew up reading the Benicula series. I loved it. I started reading it to my daughter. So you have another Zoe with a Y um, fan. I know your daughter spells it the same way. Um, so my daughter is Zoe. She is a, she was an immediate fan from page one. Uh, and I just can't wait to read through the whole series with her. But uh, and when she's old enough for the Misfits too. Well, uh, you, you said she's uh, she's seven. Yeah. When my daughter was eight, she changed the spelling of her name. She was actually born Z given the name Z O E. Uh huh. And and at eight, she said, "I'm adding a Y because I'm tired of people calling me Zoe. <laughs> and when I'm old enough, I'm going to legally change it. And on her 18th birthday, this is this tells you about my who my daughter is. On on her 18th birthday, she went to the you know the the municipal building she needed to, to change it legally. To, legally changed her name. That's so awesome. she named herself Z O E Y. That's so. awesome. Well, we gave we gave my daughter the Y, and at the time, uh, we thought we were being kind of original, and it turns out we've met a whole bunch of Zoe since then so um, <laughs> yeah. we weren't that original I don't know we must have just been on the beginning of that wave I don't know but <laughs> <laughs> well say hi to her for, for, for me <laughs> I will but thank you so much for being on the show this is just this has been incredible um, 100 books here's to the next 100 right <laughs> <laughs> thank you I don't have them in me <laughs> well 
Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Man, that was he. I love when we get a person on here that likes to talk and you know yeah. ex- elaborate on their answers. And yeah, it was a good talk. It, it was a really good conversation. Yeah, and often some not. I, I won't admit to this all the time, but sometimes when you're interviewing people, you kind of drift because you're thinking about the next question. And and <laughs> but with him, I actually hung on to every word he said. I don't know why. I was just fascinated with it. You don't know why? It's because he was fascinating. Yes, that's, that's why. why. Okay, no, <laughs> I was fascinated with the Ewok book <laughs> I, I i was being honest i didn't realize that he had written that book and <laughs> i uh I, brief aside i used to be and i'm still to somewhat an extent i used to be a huge collector of star wars stuff so i still have most of my collection um and a big chunk of that was books so i have a lot of books um a lot of kids books right. and so when i was writing this piece for starwars.com about you know vintage original picture books that one obviously jumped in right in the pile and I'm going through them and I'm reading them and I crack open that one and it says by James Howe. And I was like, wait a minute, the same James Howe? Is this the same guy? Wow. (laughs) And yeah, so that was, you know, just like a week ago as we're recording this is when I realized that. And that was kind of like blew my mind a little bit. So it's a shame that he, uh, he, he thinks it's pretty bad. I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's not high literature, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to win that many uh, awards, but you know, it's fun. It's, 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 it's a Star Wars picture book about the Ewoks from 1983. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure what people are going to expect, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's harmless fun. And it, it was kind of cool to make that connection with him. Now we we didn't end up getting a liner from him for the show that the one, the ones that we play at the top of the hour, but I think I want to use his, how could the author of Panicula? Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, we'll, That's perfect. we'll use that at the top of the show. That, that'll, that'll be the top of this show, at least. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back week after week. Thanks for hitting that subscribe button. And I wanted to say welcome to all our new listeners and followers on Twitter and Facebook. We welcome you to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast family. Welcome. welcome. You can have the pretend t-shirt that doesn't exist. We'll send you one. We got to get on. Yeah, that'd be we cool. Gotta, we got to make one. That'd be cool. All right, guys, I am Justin Connors at 140 Justin C. I'm Jamie Green at The Roarbots. And thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. 